Hey, everybody. Uh, welcome to today's episode of the Pastor Mike Drop Podcast. I'm so glad that you're here. We have a lot of ground to cover. We're going to be looking into a major prophet and some big hints about the Messiah to come, and also looking at a mysterious book, or at least it seems mysterious at first until you dive underneath it, Hebrews. So get your Bibles, pull up a chair, and join us for today's episode of the Pastor Mike Drop Podcast. Hello and welcome. Emily, we have a distinguished panel of pastors today. Yes, yes, we do. Yes. As always, As, but let's say extra. Yeah, today. we do. And my my voice, I've picked up some sort of something. I don't know if it's allergies or a cold or what, but if, if my voice sounds a little off, I just want our podcast listeners not to be alarmed. I feel fine, but I'm going to try not to cough. That's going to yeah. be my goal throughout the podcast. We'll see how it goes. We'll see how that goes. Yeah, <laughs> this, I, I, I don't know. Well, yeah, the more I great. talk, maybe the worse it'll get. But <laughs> if you would, please introduce that distinguished panel of pastors. Yes, with us today, we have Pastor Richard Webb. Hi, Richard. Hi. And by the way, you've got company. You've got the same thing? Uh-huh. Allergies yeah. or whatever this is? Yeah, whatever it yeah. is. It's okay. not fun. And Chaplain Anna Eckley. Hi, Hello. Anna. I hope I don't get sick from sitting in between. I know. Two. I was just going to say, <laughs> this, this, we'll, we'll, we'll make sure we direct it kind of, you know, with a little guard. The podcast we'll, listeners are fine. Right. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Anna's going to put up a whole shield, you know, <laughs> around her, her, her position here. But anyway, are you, you are feeling well and Emily, you're feeling yeah, well. Yeah. Everyone doing well. Going strong. That's good. Half of us are good, but doesn't matter because we're excited about God's word and, and diving into the Bible. We're reading through the whole Holy Bible together as a church mm-hmm. family here at Lutheran Church of Hope. And it is it has been a life-changing experience. It has for me, and I've heard that from so many yeah. people uh, who are part of our church family here and so many of you who are podcast listeners. Uh, Emily and I, we joke once in a while about how it's kind of hard to go anywhere yeah. uh, without somebody saying, hey, yeah. I know Love you. the podcast. That's right. That's mm-hmm. right. I was in Minnesota. Um, this last week and in the most random of places, somebody came up and said, I thought I recognized your voice because I was talking to that somebody else funny. and she came up from like 50 feet away. He's like, I thought I recognized that voice and it's you. We listen to your podcast every week. Wow. And uh, so hello to Colleen up in Minnesota. <laughs> uh, thanks for, for tuning in. And yeah, it's it's good. And I think people are hungry for God's word. And that's what we're trying to do is open up the Bible and help people not just read it, but learn it so that we can all live it out. Uh, and with that, with a little help of Ted Lasso, we've taken all your questions. Let's get into them and, mm-hmm. and yeah, let's go. Why don't we just jump right in? Anybody got any questions? Oh, yeah. No, should have saw that coming. Okay. Every week, I'm excited for the questions. Sometimes it's because it's like, oh, that's so good. And then yeah. sometimes it's because it's like, ooh, this was confusing. <laughs> and so I think our questions today are going to get to some of that. Yeah. Uh, and let me just add this before we go into those. Isaiah, which is our Old Testament reading, uh, chapters 40 to uh, 54. Uh-huh. And then Hebrews are two of the most difficult to read mm-hmm. uh, in a lot of ways, uh, books of the Bible. And and yet, not all that difficult once you get the keys. It's sort of like that door is so locked until I get the key. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then I can get another key to unlock the next door and the mm-hmm. next door. And so we're going to try to show you the keys yeah. Yeah. to unlock these so that Hebrews is less mysterious and Isaiah makes more sense. So let's go. 
Yeah. What inspired the rather significant tone change between Isaiah's prophecies in chapters 1 through 39 compared to chapters 40 through 54? Ah, yes. This has been debated and debated for centuries. Um, yes. If, if you want to look at this, there's sort of like two major theories for this, so that way we don't go totally into nerdy land. Okay. Um, the first one is that there is one author, and his name is Isaiah, and at starting with chapter 40, he was literally transported into the future through visions. So he's recording a future history. Kind of like beam me up, Scotty. Yeah, exactly. right? Transported, just zoom. He, he just moves yep, a few, yep. a century and a half later. That would cause a tone change. Yes, it would. <laughs> um, when this guy get here? Oh, yeah. The, um, as long as he doesn't put the Vulcan death grip on anybody. And then we're in real trouble. Yeah. Um, the, the, the second theory, and, and there's two ways this can be approached, um, is that uh, there are multiple authors in Isaiah, as many as up to four. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think two is probably the the big consensus. Mm -hmm. And I I like the way the Bible Project puts it, that um, Isaiah's team, they received the prophecies from him and they they studied them. And and, and that would have been around 720 and then around 530 uh, when Jews start coming out of the Persian Empire to rebuild the temple. That's the time of Ezra and Nehemiah and all that stuff. Um, that that community began to receive more prophecies, and, and then they combined them together with the initial prophecies from Isaiah. Mm. The, the danger is, in the hands of a skeptic, it's often used to disprove the credibility of Isaiah. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I don't see it that way at all. Uh, one is the division is not all that neat and tidy, because you still have stuff referencing um, the earlier portion of the book in the later portion, and vice versa. So... Um, there's still unity in it. Um, and the other thing is, just practically speaking, everybody from academics to pastors deals with it as one unit because the final author is, is God anyway. So we're still dealing mm-hmm. with a single author, you know, mm-hmm. one way or another. I think that's worth noting is yeah. we can get a little hung up on some of these important details. I don't want to mm-hmm. say they're unimportant. Yeah. They're, it's, the more we know, the better. Yeah. Uh, and ignorance isn't bliss when it comes to reading the Bible. Mm-mm. That said, it's all God's word. Yeah. And so whether it was Isaiah who was transported or Isaiah's disciples over generations that mm-hmm. continued to write it, it was multiple authors. And so mm-hmm. in the same way, Hilton Coliseum in Ames wasn't built by a guy named Hilton. I mean, he didn't lay the bricks, yeah. um, but it's named after him. Then that mm-hmm. this part of Isaiah, maybe the first part of Isaiah was really Isaiah. And then mm-hmm. the next part of Isaiah continues to be named for him because there's Mm -hmm. a consistency in the message and it's all God's word. Yeah. And if you've been reading through Isaiah and you're like, I didn't even know there was a tone change. The biggest difference is like the chapters one through 39, uh, God is a God of destruction. Yep. So there's just like more Mm -hmm. violence in it. Whereas like when you turn to chapter 40, then we see God emphasize as a God of redemption and what God can do with God's overall power. Yeah. That's a really good point, Chaplain yeah. Anna. The, the, the thing is, historically, it's worth noting what's going on. Mm-hmm. So Isaiah 1 to 39 is this, these prophecies of warning and destruction, like you say. It's pre-exile. It's, yeah. it's hey, uh, Israel now has split into two kingdoms, uh, which is going to weaken them and make them more susceptible to national enemies for being overtaken. Mm-hmm. And so now it's... It's technically it's Israel in the north and Judah in the south, and they have two different capitals and they're kind of broken up and and they're weaker, um, and that isn't of God. That's no. that a divided kingdom wasn't His plan, and so 
he sends prophets like Isaiah in particular, a very loud voice, Isaiah, who mm-hmm. says, this isn't going to end well for you. Yeah. Uh, and sure enough, around 720, 722 BC is what I was taught in seminary. Uh, the Assyrians come, this big, massive nation with this you know, huge military force comes and takes over the northern kingdom of Israel. And then you know, the folks to the south headquartered or capital city in Jerusalem, Judah, might be thinking, oh, well, that serves them right. You know, mm-hmm. that's, that's what they get, but we're still fine. And so Isaiah is warning them too, saying, ah, you know, destruction is coming. Like you say, yep. Anna, that's the tone. Now there's hints even there of hope. There's, there's, it's, this isn't God's plan forever, but because of your unfaithfulness, because you've yep. wandered away from God, God is going to not protect you from your sinful consequences. And so Assyrians are coming and the Babylonians are coming for Judah mm-hmm. around 587, 586 BC. Mm-hmm. And so both of what used to be Israel, all of what used to be Israel, uh, the Northern Kingdom and the Southern Kingdom uh, will be taken over and everybody will be living in exile. Yeah. That's the warning. Starting in chapter 40, where we are today and moving forward, now it's at least in the end stages of the exile or it's post-exile. Uh, and so either way, now we're in a different place. So the tone's going to shift and now it's hope. And now it's, hey, uh, you know, comfort. It starts with comfort, comfort my people. Yeah. Uh, you know, the, the good day is here now. Uh, you've been in exile and now you're coming home. And so it's probably worth noting here too that some people say, why did God allow his people to go into exile? Why does God allow us to suffer? And the response comes pretty clearly throughout Isaiah that it came not because this was God's plan A, it came because of the consequences of your sinfulness, because you rebelled against God. And when if this is God and this is us and we move away from God, then we move away from life and we move away from that plan A and we move away from what God wants for us. And I don't know how that's any different today, mm. you know, w- without getting too specific and saying this prophecy is specifically for us, it's specifically for its time in history. Mm-hmm. But there are transferable principles. There are timeless truths here to say how we live and how faithful we are to God's will matters. And it doesn't just matter individually, it matters collectively. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Speaking of that, how do the prophetic words of Isaiah 40 through 54 connect to and deepen our understanding of the New Testament? And are these passages solely for ancient Israel or is there something here for us too? Mm -hmm. Uh, I'll start on this one. There is something here for us too. Um, It's definitely for ancient Israel, for... (laughs) There's the cough, ancient Uh Judah, but it's also here for us too. Uh, Isaiah 49 hints, it says, the day of salvation is coming. And uh, 2 Corinthians 6, which I just preached on, says today's that day and kind of is is pulling off of Isaiah. Isaiah 52, I love this. It says, how beautiful the feet of those who bring the good news. Mm -hmm. People could hear that and go, I thought that was in Romans. Mm -hmm. Well, it is. But it comes from Isaiah. And so the idea is here come the watchmen, here come the people who are standing guard, and they're announcing this good news, they're bringing this good news that this time of hope, this time of return and freedom from exile, exile means you're living in a land that you don't want to live in. It would be like, so we live in Iowa, so somebody comes in and says, you can't live in your homes in Iowa anymore, we're taking you out, you have to live in a neighboring state, or you have to you know, go somewhere else where you don't want to be, and you will be oppressed and live as second-class citizens. Well, now we're coming home, and the mm-hmm. hope of freedom of a new life is, is before us. So that's all historically for them. But what's in it for us is then you start turning the page a little deeper, mm-hmm. and there's hints here, not just hints. I mean, it's hard to read Isaiah 53 and not 
realized, what? Mm-hmm. <laughs> He's talking about Jesus, here. <clears throat> you know, the suffering servant and mm-hmm. that by his stripes were healed and, yeah. uh, you know, his wounds heal us and his sacrifice heals us and he'll suffer for us and for our sins mm-hmm. to be forgiven. And wh- what else do you pick up there? Yeah. All kinds of things. I, I started just nerding around a little bit in the Gospels. The amount of places that Isaiah is quoted by Jesus himself, yeah. by the mm-hmm. gospel writers, and then by Paul, yeah. and then, as you said, it just keeps moving and moving. So clearly, the the early Christians thought that this applied to them. But I like also what you talked about, like with timeless truths. This this whole rant and is is really quite funny. Um, let's see, it's in Isaiah forty four, right. where it goes, and it says this guy takes this piece of wood, he chops down a tree. And half of it he uses to keep warm. The other half he creates an idol and worships it. Isn't that dumb? <laughs> <You know? laughs> and then you start thinking, okay, what are the things we worship that if we were to stand back, we would have to say, isn't that dumb? Yeah. Mm. You know, I mean, I think of my credit card, you know. <laughs> <laughs> That's an example. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. You know. And, and so there's kind of a where the shoe fits in several spots where mm. sometimes it's also a promise. Like, you know, fear not, for behold, I've redeemed you. I've called you by name, you're mine. Many people claim that as their personal passage. So what would reason. we say to the people who would say, I just really don't get into the Old Testament. All I need is the New Testament. I mean, what, what would you say to the well-meaning Christian, mm-hmm. uh, to the church member, to the person who's a part of a, of a congregation somewhere? What would you say, just as an encouraging word or maybe a a truth spoken in love challenging word Mm -hmm. to that person, what would we say? I think that we can, first of all, resonate and say there are some parts of the Old Testament that are really hard to read. For sure. You don't necessarily need to shame them for any reason. But also, if we're not reading the Old Testament, then we're just missing out on so much. We're missing out on three-fourths of the story. You don't just read one-fourth of a book and get the whole story. Or if you do, that's not how you're supposed to read books. But like, <laughs> Take it from somebody so who reads a lot yeah, of books. Lot. Yeah. So yeah, it's important to read the whole story and to continuously be challenged by it. Not everything's going to be really easy to read. So Anna, you're saying when you read one of your many, many, many books that you read, and I know yeah. you do, you're an avid reader, you don't start three quarters of the way through? Sometimes and, and, I wish I did. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. you review it later. Yeah. Yeah. But the Bible wouldn't be that kind of example. Right. It's really good to read that first 75%. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. I think also you're going to miss so much just in the, the New Testament if you don't know what it's referring to. Yeah. And sometimes you can even get it wrong if you don't realize this is a quote from somewhere. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And speaking of the connection between Old and New Testament, we're going to now transition into our New Testament reading for this mm-hmm. week, which is Hebrews, mm-hmm. which makes almost no sense at all. If we don't have some reference to the Old Testament. Yeah. But if we do, then that becomes those keys that help mm-hmm. us unlock it. It's like, oh, it's not actually as mysterious as it appears yeah. at first glance. So yes. let's take a look at it. Yes. How is Hebrews different from the other New Testament epistles we've read so far? I want to preface that by just uh, just amening what you just said, is Hebrews didn't make sense to me until I read the Bible through the first time. Mm-hmm. And then suddenly I went, oh my goodness. In mm-hmm. fact, Hebrews mm-hmm. can not only not make sense, but we could just close it and put it down and, and put it aside and say, I don't get this at all. Yeah. I mean, it's so, yeah. it sounds so mysterious if we don't mm-hmm. know yeah. what the Old Testament has to say. So mm-hmm. how is Hebrews different, though, is, is the question came, Richard, yeah. Yeah. from all the other epistles. We've read a lot of epistles as mm-hmm. we're doing this Bible reading yeah. this yeah. year uh, from Paul. So how's, how does Hebrews set mm-hmm. up differently? 
Well, just real basic, every one of the other ones said something like, from Paul, too. Mm -hmm. So we had, you know, the writer, too, the receiver. And then there was the whole greetings thing that was part of of a letter you wrote at the time. And then from there, he launches in and starts addressing issues. Sometimes he has a prayer. None of that is in Hebrews. It just, whammo, starts out with a poem. Yeah. And... and, and, and so it, it doesn't even follow the way a normal letter would in the New Testament, or frankly, even if it was just a letter in, in the Roman Empire. The writing style seems to also be more formal. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, It doesn't sound like Paul. No, not at all. I mean, even the way it, it creates arguments to, to set forth its points is not the way Paul does it. And I'm not saying it contradicts Paul. No. I'm just saying it, it's not his style uh-uh. that the no, Spirit no. inspires through. Yeah. The other is the way it quotes huge chunks of the Old Testament, and I don't know any other New Testament author that spends that much time quoting like that. Paul usually summarizes or will quote a line implying, do your homework and read the rest. Mm-hmm. But here it's sort of handed to us. Yeah, and it's, it's you know, it starts the very first two words. You said it starts with this beautiful poem. Yeah. Chapter one, verse one, long ago. Mm-hmm. Well, okay, that's there's a clue. Yeah, <laughs> we're we're not talking about right here and right now, which would have been first century mm-hmm. Middle Eastern culture, yeah. post Jesus after his resurrection and ascension. It says long ago. So so the writer of Hebrews, which uh, almost everybody agrees is almost certainly not Paul, mm-hmm. just because it's got a whole different kind of uh, phrasing and, and everything to it. Possibly Barnabas, possibly Apollos, possibly Priscilla or Aquila or both. Or there's a lot of theories. The fact is, we don't know. And like you said, Richard, we don't know the audience specifically either, other than to say it's almost certainly first century Jewish Christians. In other words, Hebrews is mm-hmm. another name for those folks. And so this letter is to the Hebrews. But it kind of gets back to what we were all saying before it's all God's word. Yeah. And so there's something in this for us. Mm-hmm. Probably worth noting the history of what's going on right here, um, because right from the start, Hebrews opens and says, hey, Jesus, 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 and you can almost put a greater than sign. Mm -hmm. Jesus is greater than angels. Jesus is greater than our history through Moses. Jesus is greater than the priests. Jesus is greater than sacrifices. Jesus is greater than all these things that we have done religiously as Jewish folks. And why is the author of Hebrews doing this? Because people are drifting. And that that word actually shows up in chapter two, verse one. We yeah. must listen very carefully to the truth we have heard, or we may drift away from it. Which is historically what's going on. A lot of Jewish Christians, for survival reasons, are tempted to say, you know, Judaism was easier yeah. because Jews are not currently being imprisoned, and Jews are currently not being executed, and Jews are currently not being persecuted like we are as Jewish Christians. So those who are, are Jew, Jews but not Christians are the ones who are seeming to get a pass. And so the temptation is there for Jewish Christians to go, let's just go back. Yeah. What was wrong with our history? What was wrong with Moses? What was wrong with the prophets in the Old Testament? Let's, let's just leave Jesus behind and go back here. So the author of Hebrews is like, yeah, but when you do that, <laughs> you leave behind not only the best part, but your only hope. Yeah. You, you leave behind God yeah. you, you, because there's no other way. Hebrews is clear on this. There's no other way to really understand God except through Jesus Christ. I mean, to get a right and true understanding. And that's not like preacher's opinion here mm-hmm. or podcast host opinion in this mm-hmm. case. That's Hebrew's opinion. Yeah. That's the Bible's opinion to say, you're not going to get to know God unless you get to know Jesus is the claim. 
mm-hmm. that's being made here, and there's no other way to reach any other conclusion. It is so pro Jesus. It just it just smacks of it straight on through. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, what kind of status do angels have relative to Jesus and mere mortals like us? And why does it matter that we get this right, mm-hmm. according to Hebrews 1, 1 through 2, 18? Well, yeah, we've already alluded to this a little bit, uh, but Jesus is God's word. I think that would be the point here. And so, you know, those who are not Jewish Christians, but just want to go back to old time religion, want to go back to Moses without Jesus... Uh, would say, well, the word of God comes to us through the, the, you know, through Moses and through the law and through the covenant and through um, the, this list of rules and regulations and what we got to do, and that's that's how we get to know God and that's how we have this relationship with God. But what the author of Hebrews is saying is actually Jesus provides a much better way for us, uh, gives us full access to God. Deuteronomy thirty three two says the word of God is delivered by angels. So I think that's a lot to do with why the author of Hebrews is starting with you're you're talking about angels so much mm-hmm. and and you talk because they're the deliverers of God's word back in the Old Testament and prophets too and priests too but here it's we're starting mm-hmm. with angels but Jesus as a messenger is superior superior to the angels so pay attention to Jesus and his mm-hmm. message and to his life because in Jesus we see all of God's glory in Jesus we see all of God's humility and it's both. It's mm-hmm. it's the wonderful, beautiful mystery of the nature of God. But if it's just, okay, we God is sort of elusive. God is out there somewhere. Nobody's ever seen God. But then if God becomes human, if God becomes Jesus, now we have a way to connect to this God. And we can relate to mm-hmm. this God because God takes on human attributes. And we're like, oh, that's the nature of God. Mm-hmm. God is love and God is uh, inspiration and God is the one who guides our steps and God, God is the one who shows us how to live uh, and provides all this and so much more for us because when we see Jesus, we see God. And so angels are the radiance of God's glory. Um, that, that's great, but there is no God apart from Jesus. Yeah. And so angels are great, but... So I think the author of Hebrews is, I don't think this is clearly what he's doing or she's doing. Here's, here's us, here's the angels, mm-hmm. and now here's Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you tell me who you want to put your faith and trust in. Oh, huge. I was trying to figure mm. out where you're going there for a second, but they had to learn that. <laughs> they had to learn it. And, yeah. Yeah. and as we were saying pre-podcast, we kind of wonder culturally if there wasn't, mm-hmm. now that's unwritten, yeah. but if there was culturally something going on in first century uh, in, into the audience that the author of Hebrews is writing that was maybe they were getting into angels too much. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Paul says in one of his letters, he talks about, well, it's actually, I think, in Titus where he talks about speculation and the worship of angels. Mm-hmm. And so from there, we can kind of guess that that people are starting to worship God's messengers rather than God himself. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that would explain a little bit, I, I love this, where, where the writer says, and somewhere it says, I mean, that's, that's sort of, for all of us who can't remember chapter and verse, that's like great comfort. Yes, um, yes. I think it's Psalm 19, actually, um, and, and where he says, what are human beings that you're mindful of them? And I love this, you have made them a little lower than the angels, you have crowned them with glory and honor, subjecting all things under their feet. And the writer of Hebrews takes that and says, yes, that's about humanity, but humanity decided to, to go a different direction. So Jesus is the first real human. 
because Beautiful. you know yeah. he he becomes flesh, so he's a little lower than the angels, but yet through his death and resurrection, he is then crowned with glory and honor, and all things are sub- subject unto his feet. And and he's and the writer is implying this thing that and so will we too be as his brothers and sisters. So he's saying if we at the end of the day wind up ruling and reigning beyond what the angels do, why would we want to worship them? Mm. Yeah. That's good. So earlier you said angels, or no, humans, angels, Jesus. Yeah. But I think I all, I've learned that as God's children, kind of like what Pastor Richard just said, that we are even above angels. Is that... We will be. We You're will right. Be. That, that's how it ends up. Okay. Yeah, and yeah. So then that makes me think when we often hear after someone has passed away or there's a loss, they say, oh, they've gone to be an angel in heaven good or point. God has called them for angel duties. God needed an angel in heaven. Yes, yeah. yes. And there's never like a good time to correct those things because they're usually in moments of grief. But I think that this is a great opportunity to share that like when we are called into heaven or when we go to our home, uh, there's other comforting things that we can say right. other than now they're an, now we're an angel. We can say we have been welcomed home to a place where there is no more sadness, no more mm. sickness, no more suffering, but just pure joy mm-hmm. and glory. Yeah, yeah, that that's such a good point because, you know, you're right. It's it's very difficult to correct folks who are grieving. Yeah. And so it, actually it would be pastorally, you know, like borderline malpractice, I think, to do that at that point to say, well, you know, actually, let's get into a deep theological <laughs> conversation about how you're splitting hairs and you're just not quite right. But here's the good news in what you just said, Anna. Uh, if in eternity that actually those of us who are saved – uh, for an eternal life with God and all the believers uh, in the kingdom to come. If that's going to be the case, and we're actually going to be above angels at that point, we don't want to graduate uh, mm-hmm. by getting demoted you yeah, know, yeah. into a different point. And the, the reason mm-hmm. I said angels above is you just go to Hebrews 2, uh, starting around verse 9, I'm going to hope what we do see is Jesus who was given a position a little lower than the angels. And Mm -hmm. because he suffered death for us, he is now crowned with glory and honor. And so when I read that, I think he was given that position a little lower than angels when he became human, when he became, when God became man. Mm -hmm. And so that's where we are now. But we also read elsewhere in scripture that actually we, angels don't have status above those Mm -hmm. who are saved for heaven Mm -hmm. in eternity. I think, I think that's really important. It's also probably worth noting that there's nothing wrong with being into angels. And angels are real. Yeah. They serve a really important purpose. They're messengers of, of God's word. Um, and they certainly were not just New Testament, but Old Testament. And that's probably why it's a little bit of a problem. And it still can become a problem today in different forms of spirituality. Mm-hmm. And I use that term very vaguely and generally because that's often how it's used out in our mm-hmm. culture today. I'm not talking about first century Middle Eastern culture now. I'm talking about 21st century us that people will say, well, I've got my guardian angel. I've got my mm-hmm. angel watching over me. I've got a famous hit song from like the 80s, angels mm-hmm. watching over me. And great. But you know what would be even better? Jesus watching over you. Yeah. I mean, if you really want to power up, mm-hmm. I mean, if you really want to have the, the greatest guide and, uh, and, and person who's showing you what to do and how to live your life, just get an upgrade. Uh, you, you can have Jesus, which, which, is, which comes with a whole lot more potency and power. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, and, and you can even say, okay, you know, his, you know, his team is with you, yeah. but he's with you, and yeah. so they're just assisting the guy. 
Uh, and, and there's that huge promise, the end of Matthew, and I'm with you always, right. the ends of the earth. Right. I want to cling to that one first. Yeah. Yeah. Angels are cool. Jesus is cooler. That's good. Morning, see, Emily. once again, Emily, <laughs> you just you just showed us we didn't need the last ten minutes. Exactly. You could have just no, people no, could have fast forwarded. You helped me get to, there to this part. Well, sometimes it's good to have context <laughs> so that you can just come and bring it home for yeah. people. Yes, angels cool, Jesus cooler, yeah. mm-hmm. coolest even. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, okay. it, it, being into angels is great. Being into yeah. Jesus, that's the best. Yes. Why do you think the author of Hebrews cares so much about the condition of our hearts? And what does Moses have to do with it? Mm. Anna, tell us. Yes. So I think I'll start with the second half of the question. What does Moses have to do with it? Because Mm -hmm. Moses is an example of leading a congregation with a hardened heart. Okay. Uh, When he was leading um, his congregation in Exodus, they didn't have belief. They did not have faith, uh, but instead they were only really trusting in what they could see or what Moses could do for them in that moment. So our condition of our heart is really important because our heart, obviously we know today with science, is not necessarily emotions. But speaking, a heart is a place, especially in the New Testament, Old Testament, where our actions, our emotions our spirit, where they all rested. So having a hard heart meant that our everything was just hardened towards Jesus and we were turning away. We would be turning away from God and what God has to offer us. Whereas yeah. if we have a posture of openness and love, that's very different from yeah. having a hardened heart. Yeah. Yeah, we're getting into one of the major themes of Hebrews here where the author is saying, whatever you do, don't turn away from Jesus. If you're drifting, stop drifting. If you've been drifting away from Jesus to you know, drift over to angels because that's more comfortable and you might not get imprisoned for it, stop it because you're missing the power. You're missing mm-hmm. salvation. I mean, we're, yeah. we're not just talking about how much power do you want of spiritual power, you know, heavenly power. We're talking about salvation is at stake here, whether or not you'll have a new and everlasting life, whether mm-hmm. or not uh, angels can't save us mm-hmm. and Moses can't save us. So here we go into a second category. Uh, from the author of Hebrews. So Jesus is greater, cooler, mm-hmm. bester uh, <laughs> than, than the angels. But he, now next part, the author of Hebrews is saying, Jesus is better than Moses, as you're mm-hmm. saying, Anna. Mm-hmm. Jesus is greater than, um, cooler than. Moses is great. We don't have to be anti-Moses. We don't have to be anti-angels mm-hmm. to be pro-Jesus. It's both. Yeah. But we're not talking the same category here. It's not like, oh, well, I believe in angels, you believe in Moses, you believe in Jesus, and it's all good. Well, it's all good in the sense that you can believe whatever you want. But in terms of our hope for mm-hmm. transformation, mm-hmm. for forgiveness of sins, mm-hmm. for victory over evil, for somebody who has the power to conquer um, you know, the forces of evil... Uh, for somebody has to conquer, has the power to conquer death for us. Mm-hmm. Moses isn't going to do it, mm-hmm. and angels don't have the potential to no, do it. No. It's it's Jesus, and so I, I think it's that warning, and that that's the theme. And so the the heart language, as you said, Anna, we know physically what that means today mm-hmm. through science, but spiritually, our hearts represent, as you said, that emotion or that feeling or that 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 uh, opportunity to love, the bond that God has mm-hmm. with us through the love of Jesus. And this warning consistently coming back, whatever you do, don't harden your heart like the Israelites did as they mm-hmm. wandered through the mm-hmm. wilderness, like Pharaoh did mm-hmm. when he just refused to respond to the action of God that was happening all around him. Yeah. Don't be those 
don't be those guys and gals. Mm-hmm. Don't be the people who drift away from God. And if you are, come on back. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There, there's a, it's, it's interesting. When I think of the whole wilderness wandering, if, if you were to summarize the whole thing in a question God was asking his people is, do you trust me? Oh, yeah. And in verse 12 of this whole section, it says, take care, brothers and sisters, that none of you may have an evil, unbelieving heart. Mm-hmm. And the word for to believe uh, in, in, in New Testament Greek also means untrusting. Mm-hmm. And, and, and in some ways you keep going, well, what hardened their heart? Well, when you don't trust, then you don't obey. And, and, and so a hardened heart is a disobedient heart, which ultimately is an untrusting heart. And if you don't think God loves you and that and that he's good for his promises and that he can deliver you, then you're going to figure out your own way and it's not going to be a good way. Mm-hmm. So that's deep. And, and we like to do deeper dives here mm-hmm. during this podcast. Richard, um, off you know, topic, on topic, but in a different venue, mm-hmm. you and I were talking the other day and you were just getting jazzed up about how into the Torah you are mm-hmm. these days. And that's really what we're, what Hebrews is getting at here. So it is completely on topic. Say just a, how would you sum up why you're so jazzed about the Torah and how that relates to Hebrews? Mm-hmm. And for, in a way, our podcast listeners can say, oh, okay, mm. there's something there for me too. When you look at the Torah, it, it, most people think of the first five books of the Bible is, yeah, they've got some nice stories, but there's just a lot of rules. Mm-hmm. And what I'm learning is the whole thing's a story. And it's a story about God trying to coax his people into trusting him that he's got a promise for them and a promise he wants to work through them to rescue the planet. Mm-hmm. And, and all the way through, you know, over and over again, people take matters in their own hands. I mean, God promises... Uh, Isaac to Abraham and Sarah, and so what do they do? They take Hagar, the slave, and 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 and, and try to solve the thing on their own terms. Mm-hmm. And what's there? They don't trust God. You know, so all the way through, the big questions are: Is God for you? And is God powerful enough to do what He says? And and over and over again, people have a real people have trust issues with God. Let's put it that way. And. And that gets back to the wilderness wanderings, yeah. because that's right at the heart of the of the Torah. Yeah. As mm-hmm. God's people are on their way to this place of rest, this mm-hmm. promised land, mm-hmm. they are so rebellious, and they mm-hmm. they, they drift oh, like yeah. like the Hebrews author says, "Don't yeah. do that." Yep. In fact, drift is probably a good word to explain the entire story is, is God promises, they drift, God rescues their behinds, they drift some more, God does some more rescuing. Isn't it funny that when we get spiritually comfortable, we tend to drift? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. When we think we know it all, mm-hmm. when, when we lose our humility, when we lose our hunger for mm-hmm. God's word, when mm-hmm. we think we've graduated from needing to learn anything, that's yeah. when the that's mm-hmm. think that's when we're most susceptible to the devil's temptations yeah. to mm-hmm. drift away from mm-hmm. God. Because now we're relying on us, mm-hmm. and, you know, and oh, well, we know this now. We, mm-hmm. We've got this down. Nothing new to learn here. I don't need to tune into this podcast today mm-hmm. or, or, or yeah. listen to yeah. this Bible study or, or this sermon or read my readings for the day. There's always more. There's always more for us. Mm-hmm. Stay hungry. Um, drifting is overrated. You aren't going to like mm-hmm. where you end up yep. uh, when you drift. And I don't just mean spiritually. I just mean mm-hmm. in life. Yeah. You're, you're not going to wait. It just doesn't end well. Uh, when we drift. And I say that from experience. Yeah. Um, drifting is overrated. Yeah. yeah. yeah, And that's why we don't just read one verse, because if we were just to read verse 12, we'd just hear this, don't drift. But then right. we turn to verse 13 and it says, you must warn each other every day, reminding yeah. us that we're not alone. Mm-hmm. If it is just up to us, if it is just focus on what we know, what we can do, then we're going to drift. But yeah. if we have 
people who are holding us accountable for our actions, holding us accountable, who are caring for our hearts and loving our hearts, um, sometimes the way that they need to be loved, that's when we're going to stay in faith mm. and stay trusting mm. and mm. living in a way uh, pointing towards Jesus. That's uh, good. Two things really stand out from what you just said. I'll hit this quickly because I know we need to keep moving. One is community. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. warn each other, tell each other. It's why we can't do this alone. We need to be in community as churches and and have sisters and brothers in Christ and find a group and a Bible study and a men's group or a women's group or a youth group or, or a seniors group, whatever it might be. We have hundreds of them around here, mm-hmm. right? Church life, Emily? Yes, I mean, they're, they're all over the place. So uh, get connected. Don't go this alone. And then secondly, how important it is for us that not only is the drifting overrated, but life is tough enough as it is. And we just make it tougher on ourselves Mm -hmm. when we get so, I don't want to push this too hard, but we get so arrogant to think we don't need to humbly submit to God daily and get back into his word and, and be reminded again and again and again uh, how good God's word is and how applicable and relevant it is for our daily lives. I mean, reading through the whole Holy Bible this year, I said this at the annual meeting this last week at churches. This has been my favorite year ever at Lutheran Church of Hope. I've been here a long time, but it's my favorite year because our whole community is just zoomed in on, okay, what did we read today? What, 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 are, we, what are we looking at today? And I mean, what could be more, what could be better for us as a community and as individuals within that community? Because life is tough, and we make it so much tougher on ourselves when we don't stick with, with Jesus, with yeah. his word. Yeah. Next question is, what is God's place of rest, and how do we enter it? Well, for Moses and Israel, as we just talked about, it is the promised land. They're, uh, you know, they're escaping slavery in Egypt. They're, they're drifting, <laughs> and then they're faithfully repenting, and then they get comfortable and they drift again, and then they hit the consequences, and they're like, oh, well, that wasn't what we thought it would be, so they repent again, and, and round and round it goes, as you said, Richard. Oh. So the promised land will be the place where they can rest from that cycle that <laughs> <laughs> uh, is really just uh, exhausting. And I, and I think that that word fits perfect with rest. And it also, you know, clicks with the rhythm of creation, that Genesis, beginning of the Torah, says that God created the heavens and the earth in six days, and then on the seventh day, he rested. Uh, and so we're going to get to that place where the work gives way to rest, where the exhaustion gives way to um, the peace that comes from that rest. But as we read through Hebrews and, you know, it's not just in verse 19 where it's sort of introduced. What is this place of rest? And it sounds kind of mysterious. But that word keeps coming up, uh, the place of rest or, or just rest mm-hmm. by itself over and over again, all the way into chapter four. And it's a little mysterious. It's like, what? Mm-hmm. So if it's heaven, why not just say heaven? Or if mm-hmm. it's the promised land back in the day, why not just say the promised land? If it's, mm-hmm. what is this rest? Well, I think the author of Hebrews is stepping back and saying, let this one be a little bit beautifully mysterious. Let, let, it, let it be poetry and lyrics more than just, you need, you need a fact. Here's what it's going to be. We know rest was the promised land for the Israelites. We know that heaven or the kingdom of God that comes, however you want to talk about that, eternal life, in other words, in, 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 not in this world, this side of heaven, but the world mm-hmm. to come. Uh, that's that when we pray thy kingdom come, that's going to be rest mm-hmm. in the sense, not rest boring, like, oh, there's nothing to do. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. I, I'm just so bored. It's, it's a rest for those who, you know how good it feels to hit the pillow after a long, exhausting mm-hmm. day. 
Like, what a joy. <laughs> it was like, oh, my goodness, this is just so great. Uh, you know, and it's not that what you did all the work that day isn't important, too, but it's the reward. It, it's sort of like, this is it. But maybe sleep is the wrong metaphor or image there. Rest isn't sleep. Rest is peace. Mm-hmm. What else do you get out of that? There's this wonderful thing in, I think, Second Thessalonians where it says, strive, aggressively uh, address, make it your goal to live a quiet life. Isn't that something? And, and, and so you can hear Paul messing with all these words that are anything but rest, you know. Um, and, but he says, yeah, make it, your, make it your goal, make it your ambition to have no ambition. Mm-hmm. And I don't mean laziness, but he's mm-hmm. getting at rest that, that I, it's, because rest at the heart of it is trust. And it's very easy to drift from trust. And so in a lot of ways, we work not to work. Right. You know, and, and that sounds kind of weird and, and mystical, but I do think leaning back in our Heavenly Father's arms and saying, you got me and I'm just going to rest in your arms, we can do that for maybe a minute or two, feels good, and then we say, thank you, I'll take it back now. What do you mean the heart of it is Trust. Um, when I think of rest, um, and again, you, you, you went from like Genesis and then we talked here, is when I, there's, there's spots, especially in the Psalms, where they talk about, I am content just like a, a kid who sits in his mom's arms. And, and that's rest. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's rest. If mom's that's, loving. Sure. Yeah, yeah. 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 we're yeah. assuming mom's that's a decent is. human yeah. being. That's, that's you know? awesome. That, that, that's or good. You, you see, a, yeah, ba- yeah. <laughs> you see a, a baby, an infant, mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. and how much joy they have mm-hmm. just being with mom yeah. uh, mm-hmm. in, in, that, in that posture, in that position. Mm-hmm. As a grandpa, that's, mm-hmm. I just love getting those pictures. And you, yeah. can see, you can see it. You can just see it. You know, I, mm-hmm. I get pictures of my daughter with her son, and it's mm-hmm. just like, oh, my gosh, he's in love with her. I mean, yeah, he yeah. just thinks that mm-hmm. she's it, mm-hmm. yeah. and and she, he's so he could be crying and upset, and all mm-hmm. of a sudden, mom sweeps in, mm-hmm. all good, mm-hmm. everything yeah, is yeah. healed, everything. That's rest, mm-hmm. right? That that's mm-hmm. that's what the author of Hebrews is getting at. So strive for that, Amen. Yeah, yeah. I think it's worth contrasting, though. Once again, rest does not mean idleness. No. It does not mean no. laziness. It does yeah. not mean oh, the goal is just to sit on the couch and watch a 24 hours straight of college football or <laughs> video games or, or binging Ew. some HGTV show, you know, yeah. all day. After a while, that gets, that's the opposite of rest. It's just mind numbing. Yeah. Um, and so rest is, is more the love we feel of that child yeah. in, a, yeah. in, in the arms of a mom or a dad or yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. grandma or grandpa. Yeah. If you ever find yourself saying you can sleep when you're dead, don't say it. Yeah, <laughs> Tell exactly. him to go take a nap right now. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You, it, that might be a cry for help. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, you need rest now. Yeah. Yeah, don't wait. That's good. That's a good line. Okay. How can Bible readers faithfully interpret the mysterious phrasing of Hebrews 4.12, which is the word of God is alive, sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow? Yeah, I think that how we can faithfully read it is just understanding that the Word of God is alive and active. So it's the Word of God is living in today, and it's not something from the past. Mm-hmm. It's not something just for the future. It is alive yeah, today. Yeah. And so when we read this kind of with the imagery of a sword cutting, there are going to be parts of the Bible, as we've read through this, the whole Holy Bible in a year, there's going to be parts of it that cut to you differently 
yeah. today than maybe when you read it five years ago or when yeah. you read it five years from now, just depending on what season of life you're in mm-hmm. and what you're experiencing. Like I know the things that I wrote in my margins in college are much different than sure. <laughs> what I would be writing today, but that's because the living word of God is alive and yeah. it is touching me right where I'm at today, right how I'm going to God. God is receiving that. Mm. Yeah. So relevant. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. It's what it's meant to do. It, it absolutely is. And sometimes, you know, that that imagery is, as you talked about, Anna, sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword cutting. It's like, yeah. When we take that real seriously, that's a mm-hmm. little graphic and, and, and rough and, and, and a little bit unsettling. Sometimes God's word challenges us like that. Sometimes it, it pushes us and thank God. Sometimes love means being challenged so, yeah. sometimes, or challenging the person we love. Yeah. Now, if you don't have trust with that person, it's probably you're probably not the one to do it. Mm-hmm. You know, I talked about a football coach uh, this last Sunday who yeah. challenged one of the kids on his team. Well, you know, the rest of that story is, is that kid knows that that coach loves him and they have a relationship and they have trust getting back to what you were talking about before. And Emily, you asked what, why is trust matter? Yeah. Well, trust allows us to receive this sharper than any other kind of sword, which is the word of God. And the word of God, isn't just the Bible. The word of God is Jesus. The Mm -hmm. word of God is, I mean, he, John one, the word, the logos becomes flesh and dwells among Mm -hmm. us. It's, it's Jesus himself is this word of God. And so, that word sometimes challenges us, doesn't let us just sit mm-hmm. where we are and, and doesn't bless our sin and doesn't tell us you just do you mm-hmm. and, and you just be okay and you just keep you know being a jerk to people or, or, or mm-hmm. being rude or obnoxious mm-hmm. or do things that hurt yourself. Uh, you, you just keep doing it. If, hey, if that's, what, if that's who you are, just, just keep rolling with that. Mm-hmm. Well, how's that going to end up? You know, and, yeah. and how's that working out? So thank God he loves us enough to give us a word that... It's like surgery. It may not feel great as it happens, but it brings healing. Yeah. Uh, and it brings a cure in the long run. And so the, it might be a tough go to receive it at first. Mm-hmm. But in the long run, if you need the surgery, you need the surgery. Mm-hmm. And it's your hope for healing. To me, when you say it's best in relationship, it's because you have that understanding that that person is for you. Yeah. Yes. And so they can say some harder things mm-hmm. to you, but you trust they're for you. And so to have trust that God is for you but might have some tougher things for you to consider is similar to me. I think we all have the hardest time receiving criticism when we aren't sure if this person loves us yeah, or or if if they're just wanting to criticize. And Mm -hmm. then it's like, ah, that, that's, that's not the double edged sword I'm Mm -hmm. looking for. You know, that's not actually helpful, Mm -hmm. but when it does come from somebody who's got your best interest at heart and Mm -hmm. truly loves you, it's like, Mm -hmm. yeah, you were, this isn't you. This isn't what you're supposed mm-hmm. to be. God made you for more than this. Mm-hmm. Let's uh, let's stop drifting. You know, yeah. to, to bring that theme back mm-hmm. and come back to God. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Sticking with the mysteries of the Bible thread, what is the order of Melchizedek mentioned Ooh. in Hebrews five six through ten, <laughs> and why should we care? Oh, this is this is so good. Um, this this is a very interesting passage. Um, there is. Um, just this little thing. Uh, w- the re- There's so much. I'm getting brain jam. You uh, start where you want to start, Richard. You okay. just go. You okay. be you. 
Okay, the, the writer is quoting uh, Psalm 110, which is referring to Genesis 14. How's that for nerdy? Um, well, um, it's interesting. There is, uh, I think there's a historical Melchizedek, but very, very smart people would disagree and say that it's, this could be uh, a, a sort of a parable story that's been inserted. And again, that it's but all, either way, it's legit. It's legit. It's in the Bible. We need to pay attention yeah. to it. Yeah. And, and what it is is Abraham has returned from defeating some folks, and and he's walking in this valley that's near uh, this town called Salem, which is now Jerusalem. And the king, or mayor, we would call him a mayor, comes out to greet him and celebrate with him. Now, here's where it gets really fun. The king's name just happens to mean a king of righteousness, Melchizedek, and he happens to be the king of this town, and which is Salem, which means peace. So he's the king of righteousness, who is also the king of peace. And all we know about him is this little bit part, so we don't know his beginning and we don't know his end. So you can see the symbolism building. And then he brings out what? Bread and wine. And he is known as the priest of God most high. Um, great, great. Um, the co- in the context of Genesis, that's nice. But then as you start looking at the rest of the Bible, the writers of the Bible work that sucker like crazy. And when we get to the New Testament... This guy gets brought up so many times, so he becomes almost like a Christ symbol Mm -hmm. because Christ himself is the king of righteousness, king of peace, has no beginning, no end. He is the one whom the temple in Jerusalem was dedicated to, and he, I love this, in the road to Amazus, as the couple is walking away from Jerusalem, what does he do? He blesses the meal, and they sense his presence. Mm -hmm. And he is, and this is the point that the writer of Hebrews is trying to make, he is the priest of God most high, who excels over every human priest. So in a lot of ways, he's greater than the historical Melchizedek, but Melchizedek in Genesis provides the pattern to make sense of Jesus. Yes. And and again, there's a sense of that already in Psalm 110 that this is more than just a little bit part in, in, in Genesis. So let me take your doctoral dissertation there. <laughs> no, with, so with, with gratitude, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. because that's I love that stuff. I'll, mm-hmm. I'll listen to that all day. Let me take that and bring it back into the context of Hebrews mm-hmm. for Bubba, who might be listening out mm-hmm. there, you know, for while Una, he's combining the corn, yeah. right? What's that? Anna. And Anna, 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 and Anna and, well, the and, truth is, is if Bubba don't get it, ain't nobody getting it, you know. But 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 I that but that's not an excuse for us to go simplistic. And yeah, so yeah. praise God for for you, Doctor Webb. Seriously, mm-hmm. and what that does is it reminds us just how deep this content goes. Yes. But here's the here's the real here's the real rubber hits the road connection for the guy combining his farm right now, his, his harvest and listening, you know, to us uh, on a podcast. This is for you because here again, these priests like Melchizedek um, and, you know, Genesis kind of sort of directly, not kind of sort of says he has no mom or dad. He's and so is this sort of eternal mysterious sort of figure. And that's why Anna, you brought this up before the podcast started Maybe he's not actually a real human, but it's more of a symbol or a metaphor of somebody, you know, who lived mm-hmm. once upon a time, but represents eternal stuff. It represents mm, yeah. stuff that has no beginning or end, as you were mm-hmm. saying, Richard. So we're talking about something that's very rich. We're talking about something that's very powerful. We're talking about something that's that's very significant. And yet here again, it's right on theme. Jesus is greater than the angels. Jesus is greater than your tradition of the law with Moses. And now Jesus is also greater than your priestly tradition. Mm -hmm. As rich as those three things are in your history, 
that's not enough because the priests, in this case, like Melchizedek, offer sacrifices on the behalf behalf of the people, but they're still morally flawed. They don't do it as the perfect sacrifice. The only one who can do that is the spotless Lamb of God, who is Jesus Christ, mm. if we want to use that priestly language. Yeah, so yeah. the only one who can ultimately enter the Holy of Holies in the kingdom mm-hmm. of heaven, in, in a place where eternity, where there is no death and no suffering, is Jesus. Yeah. He's the only one who has access. When he dies, the temple curtain is torn in two. The symbolism is impossible to miss. Heaven is open for us. Eternal life. It's now been, the door's been kicked down. Jesus can do that. Melchizedek can't. Mm-hmm. He, he can go through the ritual and do it in a symbolic way once upon a time in the history of Israel. But only Jesus can do what needs to be done, which is ultimately not just to um, forgive our sins through some atonement ceremonial process the priest does, but Jesus being morally flawless and therefore the perfect sacrifice is superior to all previous priests. And if we skip on Jesus, we skip on the chance mm. to be reconciled to God forever. Mm. Uh, so that's what Hebrews is really all about. There's a lot of religious things out there. There's a lot of spiritual things out there. And they're all really, they're, they're, we're for those. Those are good things. Priestly traditions, the law, Moses, angels, all good things. Jesus is gooder. <laughs> Jesus is more to... To mm-hmm. quote you, Emily, Jesus is cooler. Yeah. Yep. And uh, I think that's a good place to wrap things up. Yeah. Uh, th- this is, and we're only five chapters into Hebrews, so keep, <laughs> keep reading. You think this yeah. was good. There's till, a lot there. There's yeah. a lot there. Wait till next week. Hey, we love you, but more importantly, God loves you. And so church is important too, but uh, the Jesus of your church, the Jesus of our church is even better and even more. Put your hope in him. We'll see you at worship this weekend. for joining us today. Please make sure to like and subscribe on your favorite platform and we'll see you next time.